Welcome to our midweek service. We've been uh, uh, kind of uh, working from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, uh, talking about some of the uh, prophetic, um, if you will, characteristics and traits of uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, obviously, this is a messianic passage. We talked a little bit about it last week, kind of split into two parts about his ministry in the first three verses and then talking about his millennial reign in the remainder of the chapter. Um, but uh, one of the key things uh, in verse uh, two that we've been looking at is, uh, if you will, these seven spirits that um, have been uh, given to Christ that uh, obviously we need to pay attention to, uh, if we're to be Christ-like, these are things that we should be desiring, uh, from Him. And we're going to see a little bit more about that t- tonight, specifically when it comes to Jesus. And, uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, the next one. We talked about, uh, the Spirit of the Lord. We did talk a little bit about the fear of the Lord. And, uh, we will make a mention of that as we get closer to the end again, one more time. Kind of circle back around. Uh, but uh, we're moving on to uh, the spirit of wisdom in verse 2, and we'll uh, uh, talk about that tonight, uh, do a little bit of study and looking at uh, what that's about. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get going for the evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we again thank you so much for time and opportunity to uh, be here. Thank you again for uh, just the um, uh, the provisions of uh, uh of life that you've given us to be able to, to attend, to, uh, just, uh, be here with, uh, some simple comforts and just to, to be here tonight, Lord, uh, ready to receive something from you. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will be receptive and that, uh, our, uh, our, our minds will be ready to listen and that we will have a desire, Lord, to, uh, seek after this wisdom because we'll find out, Lord, uh, this wisdom is you and who you are. And I pray, Lord, that we would just, uh, uh, again, have that desire tonight to uh, grow in you, grow in the knowledge of you, uh, that we would uh, be Christians that please you more and more in our day-to-day life, that uh, seek to do your will uh, consistently and constantly. And again, Lord, I just pray you'd set my flesh aside this evening, that you would just simply use me and speak through me, that these words, Lord, would be honoring and pleasing unto you. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so in Isaiah chapter 11, and uh, obviously the verse 1 is talking about Jesus, and we identify that by uh, what it says there. It says in verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And again, that rod, or excuse me, that stem of Jesse is going back to David's father. Uh, we see the lineage that has been outlined in both the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, uh, talking about uh, going all the way back to uh, to Abraham. Again, discussing and showing uh, who Jesus Christ is as far as his uh, relation to the throne and relation to man and the relation to uh, these messianic passages. But in verse 2, it begins to describe these traits. 
um, uh, what is going to uh, rest upon him. And the first one that we saw was the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And we talked about that, that spirit of the Lord being enabling, uh, giving that ability. Um, one thing that we commonly quote and we commonly uh, look at is, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me over there in Philippians chapter 4. And that's important because we have the Holy Spirit of God. And that is where our strength comes from. That's where uh, are they enabling to do what uh, many consider, uh, uh, if you will, difficult tasks. You know, people often uh, kind of go back and forth about the Christian life and and it's uh, quote-unquote ease and, and not ease or whatever they may say about it. But one thing that is uh, very necessary for any believer to understand is this, is that in order to accomplish what God has asked us to do, we need him. Uh, we cannot do it without him. Uh, we can only do these things through Jesus Christ, and that's like the end of the story. There, there's nothing that we can do outside of him that is going to be in his will. And, and this is why it becomes very important that we have that connection with Christ. That's important why we have uh, the word of God. That's important why we have the Holy Spirit to to speak with us and, and to commune, to comfort, to, to teach uh, the spirit of truth, as he is called. Uh, th- that's why we have that. And without it, it, this, this, this believer's life would be very difficult. Uh, it would be uh, attempting to do something with which you have zero knowledge, zero tools, um, zero understanding of, or any of that. Uh, I, I mean, if you weren't given anything but, say, a butter knife and somebody said, go build a nuclear power plant, um, you'd be like, mm, yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, but that's, you know, and as, as stark as that comparison is, that's what the Christian life is without Jesus. Because he's the one that gives us everything that we need to accomplish it, from the blueprints to the building materials to the labor to the resources, all of it. That comes from him. And what we find here in this in this next passage in uh, Isaiah chapter eleven verse two, it says uh, in the next phrase here, "And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord." And, and and what we see there with that spirit of understanding is, the, and this is the one we're going to look at tonight, is the necessary, uh, um, uh, uh, if you will, acquisition of wisdom in our life. Without wisdom, it is going to be very difficult to do anything for the Lord. Uh, and I dare say almost impossible. So let, let, let's take a look at a little bit of kind of, if we will, kind of get a definition of what what it is. And to put it in a very simplistic definition, and I know that's kind of unusual for me, but <laughs> in a simplistic definition, uh, wisdom is the right use and exercise of knowledge. I mean, if you want to get down to, to, to the basics of what wisdom is, it is the right use and exercise of knowledge. And we understand that knowledge is learned, that knowledge is obtained, you begin to understand knowledge, um, and, and, and it's necessary. 
You, if you have just knowledge and you do not have understanding and wisdom associated with it, you, you're, 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 you're fighting a battle that you're not going to win. Uh, and the main reason is, is because Paul clarifies, says knowledge puffeth up. If you don't understand why you have that knowledge, why God is teaching you this, why God is giving it to you, and you don't know how to use it the right way, and you don't use it the right way, all it's going to do is puff you up. It's going to inflate you. I have, uh, you know, in... In various different churches, I've, I've, there's always, uh, gonna be one, and I tell you this, it just, it just happens. There's always gonna be one guy that thinks he's God's gift to the Bible, and he has all knowledge of the Bible and everything about the Bible, and, you know, he's like Mr. Bible, and he can answer everything and anything. Look, there's stuff in here that I do not know, and I have no idea what it is, and I'm not even gonna try to figure it out. You want, I mean, again, you go over there and start looking at the book of Revelation. I know I use this one because it's really easy to point it out. Uh, talk, start talking about those things with locusts with scorpion tails and, you know, wings and teeth and manes like lion and face. What is it? I have no idea. <laughs> you read it. I'll take it literally that that's what that is. And, and, and some people are like, well, no, that's, that's, that's an image of an Apache helicopter. That's not an Apache helicopter. I mean, you get up close and personal with one of those. I'm sorry. The, it, it, what is this whole thing with the, you know, the, the, the tail and so on and so forth? But you go over there and it talks about these creatures being able to harm man, but not kill them. You ever seen what an Apache attack helicopter does? What its purpose is? It has that designation of AH-64. That AH means attack helicopter. It means it is to attack. And when it attacks things, it shoots missiles called hellfire missiles. That should give you a description of what it's going to be like when one of those detonates. It, it, I mean, these things, they, they kill. That's what they're meant to do. They're meant to damage, destroy armored vehicles. They're meant to get the upper hand and have air superiority in combat. And last time I checked, people die in combat. So I can't make that affiliation with those. But what I do see is I do see that the Lord brings whatever these creatures are and, and and for all I know, they're going to be those actual creatures that come out of there. And if they are, you know what? I don't think, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Just take a look at the stuff that they're putting out on Hollywood. The creatures and those things that, that, that they, they put out there and it comes from people's imaginations. Where do you think they get some of that stuff from? But I have no idea. I'm not going to say I have knowledge on that. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I've studied the Bible. I, I go through, I read it and, and things of like that, but I'm not going to say I have all knowledge. Because if I start saying I have all knowledge, I begin to puff myself up. I begin to elevate myself. And that's exactly what we're not supposed to do. And I will tell you this, and if you look at this, you know, from a, from a perspective of the book of Proverbs, it starts off with there's instruction. 
the necessity, the need for instruction. And then there's knowledge, because what you learn from the instruction is knowledge. What you gain from that knowledge that was instructed to you is an understanding. From the understanding, you then have the wisdom, which is the application of it. It kind of works in that process. But if you notice, the very first thing he starts off with is what? Wisdom. Why? Because in order to get to this point of wisdom, humility has to be present. So what we begin to see with wisdom is we see humility. Because you go over in the book of Proverbs, and while the book of Proverbs is always doing this comparison, right? It always gives one part of a verse, and then in the other part of the verse, it gives a negative. So it'll give a positive, it'll get a negative. Or it'll give a negative, and then it'll give a positive. Or whatever it may be, right? So when we also look at the book of Proverbs as a whole, we see two women. We see the right kind of woman, which actually happens to be wisdom. And then we see the wrong kind of woman, which is lust of the flesh, false doctrine, and pride. And now that's interesting because as we begin to, if you will, break it down even further in that, it's also talking about two types of people, the wise and the fool. The wise is the one that is has knowledge of God and appropriately uses it. And the other one is the fool that doesn't want to retain the knowledge of God, as Romans talks about. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. All those facts that they had, God wasn't a part of it. So we see that dynamic that's going on there, and what we find is is that the fool is lifted up in pride, but a person that is wise in the book of Proverbs is a person that is humble. And the main reason that you have to be humble with to, to acquire wisdom is because of where it comes from. Now, there is a wisdom of the world, and we're not talking about the wisdom of the world. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about, quote-unquote, street smarts. Okay? Because I will tell you this, the wisdom of the world may have limited application, limited use. The wisdom of God has unlimited use, and has eternal use. The wisdom of the world has temporal. The wisdom of God is eternal, because it's always existed with God. So let's take a look at a couple of verses, and let's go over to the book of Job. Job chapter 36. Interestingly enough, as... (coughs) Excuse me, I don't know where that came from. Interestingly enough, as... um, as uh, uh, the book of Job, if you go through and you start looking at it, I, I, if you read it, just do one of these things where you just kind of, if you will, keep a little piece of paper next to you. And it's always good. If you're reading the Bible, keep a piece of paper next to you. Okay? And here's why. Because as you're reading the Bible, you're going to start having questions. Write the question down and keep reading. Okay? Because if you start going off on a bunny trail while you're reading, you're going to get, Yeah. Just focus on the reading, then go back, and those are study things that you can look at, okay? 
But as you're, you know, having that down, you just go and make these little tick marks as you go through the book of Job and start making tick marks about how many times the discussion of wisdom comes up. It's interesting that they call those three books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, or excuse me, four books, and Ecclesiastes, they call them the books of wisdom. They try to tag Song of Solomon in there, but really people have no idea where Song of Solomon fits. <laughs> they read Song of Solomon and they just kind of all short circuit. And there's, I mean, and again, leave it to the theologians to debate. And they're like, well, we don't really think it's biblical canon. And I'm like, okay, then you don't understand the importance of the book. You don't understand the communication of the theme of the book. God in his care for his people and the nation of Israel. People don't see that. But that, if you will, that's a love story about how much he has loved them. And I tell you, it's one of the best ones. There is a lot of symbolism and typology and imagery that's in there that is as as deep as Daniel, Ezekiel, and um, in the book of Revelation. But it very clearly communicates something about God's care for those who he loves. But moving on on that point, Job has a lot to deal with wisdom. Take a look at this passage, Job 36 and verse 5. Job 36 verse 5, it says, Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. I like that verse. Did you, did, did, I mean, it's just kind of interesting when you read that. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. Now, I point this out because obviously here's Elihu. This is the fourth one of Job's friends, the one that was not condemned for what he said. And he's making some comments about God and he's making some commentary about Job's comments and his other three friends' comments saying, you guys are all messed up in your doctrine. Elihu kind of had his uh, his mind, you know, exactly where it needed to be, and that was centered on God. This is all about God anyways. Not necessarily about Job, it's about God. And And what we find here is he begins to give God praise for who he is, talking about his might. Mighty in strength and mighty in wisdom. You ever met that guy that's like, you know, he's mighty in strength, but he really honestly does not have the brain capacity that God gave a brick? I mean, I, I, I could, I could talk to Mike over here and I could ask him, how smart are bricks? Yeah, they're not that smart. <laughs> they don't have brains. They don't have anymore. There's always the guy that's just, oh, he's, as they say, he's all brawn and no brains, right? Well, that's not God. That's not God. And he's not a balance of, 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 if you will, brawn and brains. No, he is strength and wisdom. Meaning that all strength lies with him and all wisdom lies with him. So as far as balance, it's not even a balance. It's just that's who he is. So when we begin to realize that that, that, that is who God is, that he is mighty in strength and wisdom... We see that that is something that he has in him. It's who he's about. 
Now, this is important for us to understand because as we see over in Isaiah chapter 11, that's messianic in nature. See, what the Jews don't realize is that that Jesus Christ is God. They still think he's just a man. And at some point in time, and it's already starting to happen, rabbis are going to start reading things in Scripture and go, hold on a second. And then they're going to go start reading the New Testament and they're going to go, hold on a second. (laughs) And there's going to be some blinders lifted. But the sad thing is there's only going to be a small remnant of them that actually believe Jesus Christ is God, is their Messiah, but most importantly, is their Savior that came to save them from their sins. See, they still don't even have that concept. They just sit there and think in a physical sense. So what we find here is we find that this is God in his wisdom and what he has as his, if you will, attribute. We find that that's also the same attribute that is attributed to Jesus Christ in that messianic passage over in Isaiah chapter 11. That spirit of wisdom. Now, we've already seen Psalm chapter uh, 111, verse 10, but we'll turn there once again. It's always a good verse to, to, to bring about when we start talking about wisdom. But we already talked about this when we started talking about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is necessary for wisdom to even be there. So we see that, that you know, it, it, the, these are things that, that, that are all together for that purpose of Jesus Christ being who he is. In, in Psalm chapter 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. So we begin, we understand that if we're going to start fearing God, that's where the wisdom is going to start occurring. Knowing who he is and desiring him is going to start that process of wisdom. Because that means that we know who he is. That means we are going to listen to him as an authority. We're going to listen to his instruction. We're going to take what he tells us as truth. Because God is truth. Did he not specifically say that? He said, thy word is truth. And we know who the word of God is. We know that his Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of truth. And we also know that God is not a man that he should lie. So truth is always with him. So what we find here is we find this beginning to form, if you will, this mindset of what's going on. So the knowledge that he gives is going to be correct knowledge. Not everything that's taught out there is the right way to do it. Sometimes we get taught the wrong way to do things. Sometimes we get taught the backwards way of doing things. And sometimes we just use whatever way. You know, Pastor Shanks always used to say that there was the right way, the wrong way, and the Tim Shanks way. You just insert your name in there, okay? Because trust me. There's the right way, there's the wrong way, and then there's, well, then there's Ken Stewart's way. 
that may or may not be the right way, may have integrated some of or a little bit of both, may lean one direction or the other, but regardless, it's just not way you're supposed to do it. Because it's being done of my will. So it has to be the will of the Lord. But that again, that's what that's going to lead into that wisdom. Without the, without that uh, uh, fear of the Lord, we're not going to have any beginning of wisdom. Now, the important thing to understand is that wisdom is taught. And we'll get to that here in just a minute. Let's go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs. Let's take a look at a couple of things with Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 2. <coughs> In verse 6, it says, The Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He lieth up sound wisdom. For the righteous, he is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Now, these two verses, which go hand in hand and actually, you know, in context with the whole chapter, uh, are, are extremely important. Because when we see it's the Lord that gives wisdom. Some people think that age just equates wisdom. Uh, man, you know, I'm going to try to be as respectful, but I know some people that are a little bit older and they still don't have the common sense God gave uh, an acorn. Uh, they just, they, they can't figure it out. I, I don't know what it is. You just look at them and you go, you've been alive how long? And that was the decision that you came to. And I'm like, wow, okay, well, I'm not going to be judgmental about that, but maybe we might want to rethink that, uh, not doing that again later on in life. But, uh, you know, it's the Lord that gives wisdom. It's not age. It's not age. It's not even experience. It's not even experience. Think about that for a second. You know, somebody that's had experience doing all sorts of things, we think that they might be wise in some things, But that doesn't always equate wisdom. Just because they've done it, and they've done it who knows how many times, doesn't mean that they actually are wise. So this is why we have to understand the origin of it. The origin of what wisdom, or where it comes from. Because he talks about it, and he says in verse 7, that this is what he lays up. This is what is is, if you will, kept in store for people that do what is right. Because I will say this, if we commonly do what is wrong, wisdom is lacking. Whereas if we do that which is right all the time in every way, the right way, wisdom is a benefit. Wisdom is a consequence. There's good consequences and bad consequences. Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow seeds of righteousness. You reap wisdom. You sow sin. You sow foolishness. Or you reap foolishness. There's consequence. There's consequence. When we start looking at this, let's go over to chapter uh, um, uh, chapter eight. Um, actually, before we get to chapter eight, let's go to chapter fifteen of the book of Proverbs. Chapter eight is all about all about wisdom, and, and before we get there, I want to just cover a couple of these other verses. 
Proverbs chapter 15 and in verse uh, 33, it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. There it is, connected again with humility. But I want you to notice something very specific about this instruction of wisdom. It has to be instructed. You're not just going to lay your head down one night and, and then wake up the next morning and just be like, oh, hey, I've got all wisdom like Solomon. If you think you've done that, then um, you might want to check with your mental health provider. Because <clears throat> uh, something isn't right. That's not how you get it. What it has to happen, it has to be instructed. It has to be taught. And as a person engages in righteousness, the Holy Spirit, and this is why it's called the Spirit of Wisdom, teaches that. He will teach the wisdom. It's instructed to us. You, you cannot just rely on somebody to just, you know, if you will, uh, get it through osmosis. Does, doesn't happen that way. Doesn't happen that way. Take a look, let's take a look at Proverbs chapter eight now, and, and there's a couple of, uh, of verses that I just, I, I just kind of want to point out, uh, about the, the this, uh, um, this, uh, uh, connection with, uh, its origin. And if we go into, um, verse 22, it says, the Lord possessed me. By the way, this is wisdom speaking. And, uh, uh wisdom is giving, given a, a female gender in this, this passage. It says, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. Well, then that means that this is, he, wisdom's been around for a while. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. So we understand that she's been there. Verse 27, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. I mean, you know, all of this, it, it, all of this, he, he goes, she goes through and describes this. In verse 30, he says, then I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. What do we find here? We find that God has always possessed wisdom. It belongs to him. It's his. It's what he delights in. He doesn't delight in fools. He doesn't delight in that mentality. That's why he doesn't like foolishness. He likes stuff that's wise. Stuff that, 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 that is, if you will, oriented to him. Take a look at the book of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And again, when we start talking about this, this idea and this concept of wisdom, <clears throat> Daniel outlines some things here in, in chapter 2. And obviously Daniel is still fairly young at this age or at this point in this chapter. In Daniel chapter 2, and let's go ahead and uh, skip over to verse uh, verse 21. Here is, um, well, let's back up to verse 19 just so we have the context. 
Um, in verse 19, it says, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So here he is giving praise, giving specific praise to God for what he has just been revealed. Now, he is very well aware of what's going on, where the king is absolutely furious and says, you guys are going to go ahead and you're going to make sure that you tell me what the dream is because I can't remember it. I know it just terrified me. I don't know what the dream means, but I can't tell you what the dream was because I don't remember it. So you're going to have to tell me what the dream was and the interpretation. And all these people are like, what? How do you do that? And I'm sure they're trying to summon everything else and and and, and everything that's going on. In, in in verse 12, he gets you know Nebuchadnezzar gets extremely angry, furious, as it says here, and he's going to destroy all of them, all of them, as it says, all the wise men of Babylon. Now, let's just put this in context. They are called wise because, again, they possess some form of wisdom. Now, Daniel's wisdom is not the wisdom that is from this earth. It is wisdom that is from above. And we'll check that over in James in just a moment. But take a look at what he says here in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. They belong to him. Verse 21. <clears throat> uh, he changes the times and seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and the secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might that thou hast made known unto me what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. What did he say? He's being called a wise man, and he's saying, I'm going to tell you where I got the wisdom from, God. It's his to begin with. He gives it to whom he gives it. And it's pretty clear, as as we see here, that this is the only way that Daniel was going to know what happened. Now, again, that is the power of God's wisdom. See, the problem is, is that the world today rejects the wisdom of God and would rather take the wisdom of the world. Give you an example. The wisdom of the world says that, you know, a human life is not, if you will, valuable until it can actually survive on its own. Now, if you believe Charles Darwin, that would make logical sense. Because it's survival of the fittest, right? But we didn't come from an amoeba and we didn't come from monkeys. Where did we come from? God. He created us in his image. He gave us certain attributes that he, that are similar to his. And we find very clearly that he values life. All life. Even quote unquote potential 
life. We find that throughout Scripture. So that's the wisdom of the world. They'll say, well, in that case, you can go ahead and abort somebody all the way up to 18 months of age, post-birth, and you can abort somebody's life after the age of, oh, say, 50, where they're really just not that valuable to society anymore. By the way, they've said that. By the way, they've promoted the best thing for climate change, according to one Swedish scientist and climatologist, is cannibalism. And people are going, yeah, that makes sense. They're, 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 wait a second. The best thing for, 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 for the climate is that we eat each other? What kind of sick, depraved person is this? Well, it just makes logical sense. Because, you know, we wouldn't want to necessarily harm the life of a cow, which is innocent. No, so let's just go ahead and eat each other. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, cow is not, you know, necessarily uh, the same thing as a human being. God created that for food. Unless you're worshiping the creature. That's the wisdom of the world, right? So we begin to see there's a problem with what people say is wise. And the reason I point this out is because people will reject the wisdom of God, which says every life is precious. You don't kill people and eat them. And it's like, you, you, I mean, you, you, that's like common sense. But I guess it's not common anymore. But therein lies the problem. They reject the wisdom of God. And they accept the wisdom of the world. So when they reject Jesus Christ, they're rejecting the spirit of wisdom. They're rejecting the spirit of wisdom. That's why science is stalling. We're not making massive advances anymore. We're just building on technology that's actually rather old. Just because we have computers in our pocket instead of fitting, you know, in the size of rooms like this, doesn't mean necessarily we've become smarter. I dare say that we've actually become dumber and borderline zombies. But here we are, and we see that the world rejects God's wisdom, but will gladly accept something that is not wisdom at all. And they're rejecting Jesus Christ. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit. They're rejecting God. The whole you know, Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 discusses this, especially including what went on with the nation of Israel and what God gave them. 
Take a look at, at, at 1 Corinthians, and just to kind of further prove this point, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter one. And, and it's interesting to, to, to see here in, in, um, in this passage. And, and I, I want to get some, some context here. He, he, he's talking about, you know, um, his position, um, in, in verse 17, he says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay. That does not mean that Paul does not baptize. Okay. He did baptize people. Uh, he did, uh, um, promote it. He did say it is, uh, good and necessary. Uh, it is something that should be done scripturally. Okay. Some people jump on that and say, see, 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 Paul doesn't want anybody baptized. No, that's not what he said. Let's, let's not put words in where there are none. Okay. It says, but to preach the gospel, he's making an emphasis. He's saying, uh, well, before anybody can be baptized, we've got to preach the gospel to them. That's most important. Okay. Because baptism is not entrance into heaven. Uh, how do we know that? Well, again, let's just go ahead and start off with the thief at the cross. Uh, he wasn't baptized. There are people that run around and say, well, you don't know whether or not they took him off the cross and took him over to the river and baptized him and then put him back. Now, I could see the Romans doing that just for cruel and unusual punishment because they were a sick bunch of people. And I'm talking about the Roman military. If they had an opportunity to inflict any type of harm on any individual for any reason at all, they did it. They were not pleasant people to be around, okay? They had a reputation, and they specifically did not like the Jews. And they made their lives as miserable as possible because the Jews were making their lives as miserable as possible. So there was a lot of tension that was there. So yeah, if they had an opportunity to do it, I could see them do it, but they weren't going to do it because that was the scriptural thing to do. But we don't see that. What happened? The guy died. And he was with Jesus Christ in paradise. And from paradise, he went to heaven. That's evident. That's scriptural. That's biblical. But what we find here is he's talking about the importance of the gospel. He says, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And he's not, he's talking about again, the wisdom of men in a, in a traditional form, the way that, that, uh, man's tradition is used much like the Pharisees. Grand oration, great speakers, taking away the preeminence of Christ and putting it on man. So as we go on here, uh, continuing down in verse uh, 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, because they have said there is no God, but unto us uh, um, which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And he's saying, look, you know, here, here's the situation. Again, you go through scripture and you find God using the most amazing things 
to communicate some of the greatest principles. Balaam. That has got to be the most bizarre thing I think I've ever heard of in my entire life. But then you just have to continue to read the Bible. And there's even more. I mean, the, the stuff that you go through and you're going, well, that's just, that's, that, whoa. And what does God do? God says, I'm going to use this, which is going to make everybody else that thinks they're wise go, what? I would have never done that. Well, that's why you're not God. So, <laughs> and again, this is, this is why God does this. You know, one of the, one of the biggest ones is, is, is the, these individuals that try to argue in these apologetic things and it drives me crazy because all they want to do is just debate and you debate in circles and you debate and debate and debate and debate and you make yourself so, so just angry you can't even stand it. But there's the, the debaters that are out there and they're going, well, if God knew that Satan was going to do that, why didn't just God kill Satan? And you're like, well, I can tell you this much. That's what man would do. Man would just end it. But that's not the purpose. God has a greater purpose behind everything. And we have to trust that. And that's where faith comes in. And then that's where people start short-circuiting. Because, oh, I'm not going to believe the word of God unless I've got some evidence and some proof. Okay. Well, <clears throat> start taking a look around at you and you just and, and ask the question. You really think that this just evolved over billions and billions and billions of years from an amoeba that exploded out of the period on a page? You're like, well, that's simplification and making it sounded absurd. Yep. <laughs> yep. Sure is. Where, where, in verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And he does over and over and over again. Again, one word, platypus. Verse 21, for after that is the wisdom of God, the world uh, uh, by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. To them, it's foolishness. It's foolish to sit there and say to somebody, if you were to die today, you know where you spend eternity. Why? Because they are not thinking about dying. And if they are thinking about dying, they're not thinking about eternity. Because if they were thinking about eternity, they'd be thinking about it right now. So there's, there's these issues. But as, as we continue on here in verse, uh, uh, verse 22, it says, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. They're always seeking after wisdom. They were the philosophers, and Socrates, and Plato. And if you've ever read any of those guys, you might as well watch paint dry. In verse 23, it says, but we preach Christ crucified, and under the Jews, a stumbling block, and under the Greeks, foolishness. Why? Because it doesn't match the wisdom of the world. They're looking for wisdom of the world, not wisdom of God. But here's verse 24. This is what I'm getting at. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, talking about believers, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now, isn't that interesting? Right next to Jesus Christ is wisdom. You realize that he was the embodiment of it? He didn't do one thing that was foolish. He would essentially have to be denying himself at that point. But he was wisdom. Everything he did was wise. To the point where he even fulfilled some of the stuff that was over there in uh, in the book of Proverbs. Answer a fool according to his folly. How many times did he answer their foolishness? Answer not a fool according to his folly. He did that a couple of times where he just, you know, one particularly where he stooped down and he just started writing on the ground and ignored them. Which was convicting enough. He, 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 he exercised the right use of knowledge. The right use of, of everything that was of wisdom from God. Because he was God. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I want you to see this in Colossians chapter 2. Obviously, we'll get there when we get to Colossians chapter 2. In Sunday school, but Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, talking about Jesus Christ in the previous uh, uh, verse there, it's in whom, and that whom is Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to be wise? Study Jesus Christ. You want to know wisdom? Study his responses. I, I, I've been around some folks where they're like, you know, they're just absolutely as rude as rude can be. And they're like, well, Jesus Christ was rude. No, he wasn't rude. He was wise, and his responses used and exercised the perfect judgment and discernment. He wasn't being rude when he said, or he called them uh, uh, vipers or hypocrites, or said that they, they were of their father, the devil. He was using that as a means of conviction in the right context. Some people are just rude because they think it's a license to be rude. It's not. It's not. He was communicating, if you will, a major heartache with him. They were vipers because they were biting and poisonous to people. He cared about the people. They, they, they were hypocrites, giving, giving, if you will, humanistic standards that couldn't be attained. It's what we call moving the goalpost in the business world. Just when you think you can reach the goal, it moves another 50 yards. That's what hypocrisy is all about. 
you know, he, he says that they're of the father of the devil. He's saying that they had devilish tendencies. They were, they were following the devil's pattern as if they were his own children. Lying, murdering, and deceiving. So as we see here, you know, his responses the way they were. But, but, but I get to this point to say that, that in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Study how Jesus Christ responded. Study about how he learned obedience. Study how he grew in wisdom and knowledge. And, and we'll get to that. I don't think we're going to get to it tonight because I'm looking at the time and I'm like, yeah. Uh, but over there in two two passages, specifically uh, uh, over there in uh, Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 6, and in Luke chapter 2, talking about how Jesus Christ had wisdom and how he had gained and grew in wisdom. Did you ever think about that? He grew in wisdom. That goes right along the lines with where it says he learned obedience. Like, wait a second. Yeah, remember, he put himself in the form of a man to come and die on the cross for my sins. Your sins. He is 100% man and 100% God at all at the same time. I have no idea how to do that. Why? Because I'm not God. How does that, I have no idea. How did he even limit himself to not know certain things? I don't know. You can take that up with him when you get to heaven. (laughs) Because I'm just like, "Mm, I don't know. I'm not going to say I know. I'm just going to say he did it for a reason though. To demonstrate something. What is that? That the flesh needs to be instructed in the wisdom of God. If the spirit is being instructed by the spirit of wisdom, then the spirit is going to be able to bring the flesh into submission. You study Jesus Christ and you will see that he teaches bringing flesh into submission. Which is reiterated by Paul, by Peter, by John, by James, by Jude, by whoever wrote Hebrews, all of that, right? In the Gospels, he communicates that to us. And it's all communicated throughout the Old Testament as well. What do you think of the law was about? But it couldn't be accomplished. Christ had to be present for salvation. Let's take a look at one more passage here and in the book of James, in James chapter 1. <clears throat> and uh, we're kind of running out of time on this one. I was hopeful I'd be able to get through it, but apparently not. <clears throat> so in James chapter 1, and I want you to take a look here at verse 5. Here's Here's James. As he says, that servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ, here he is talking to the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Verse 5, he says, If any of you ask uh, it lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, 
and it shall be given him. Now, here's the most important part. You're going to ask somebody that has to give. Right? When you, as absolutely as ludicrous as this is going to sound, and I'm not trying to be demeaning in any way, shape, or form, but if you pull up to, uh, you know, pull on the off-ramp, and you pull up, and there's the guy standing there with the sign, He's got a sign up there, and the best one I ever saw was running for president, need campaign funds. <laughs> it's the best one. I wanted to give him money just because of that. That was great. But he's just standing there. He, you pull up, and, and whether he's saying, you know, let's be honest, I need money for beer or whatever it is, okay? That guy's standing there, and he's asking for money. And you pull up to him, and you say, hey, can you spot me a Benjamin? Can, can you give me a hundred dollars right now? He's going to look at you and go, wait a second. I think this is backwards. Are you going to ask him that doesn't have it? Now, I'm not talking about the guys that like do it professionally for money. Okay. The professional hobos. I'm talking about the guy that's really down and out. Okay. That's really got any, he, he's homeless. He probably is on drugs or alcohol. He's got some serious mental health issues. He's out there in the rain, in the cold, and you're going to ask him for a hundred dollars. Be like, that's stupid. I'm not going to ask him for a hundred dollars because he doesn't have it. Then why in the world would a Christian go to any other source for 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 wisdom? Why would we go to this the Socrates and the Plato's of this world? Why would we go to the science, so falsely so-called? Why would we go to humanistic mindsets that is creeping into the church? I, I, let me change that word. It's not creeping into the church. It's busted through the doors and has just made itself at home. Yeah. Humanism sits in the pews today and is preached from the pulpit. But let's... Let's be honest. Why would we go anywhere else? Because God is the one that possesses it. Its origins are from him. He's the embodiment of it. Everything that you want to know is going to be found in him and him alone. It's what you're going to want to desire to have. Why, why, why in the world, why in the world would we go anywhere else? When he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask a God. They give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You ever sit down and have that prayer with God and say, God, I am so stupid. Will you help me? <laughs> God, I don't know. I need your instruction. I need your knowledge. I need your understanding because I need to be wise about the situation. And you know what happens? He will give it to you. It may not be the way that you expect it. Whatever you do, do not dictate to God how you're going to receive his blessings, okay? It doesn't work that way. Because it could be that a donkey turns around and communicates it to you. It just could be. You never know. It could come from the most absurd of all absurdities. 
and it communicates wisdom to you. And you're like, I, I've never heard wisdom from, from that source ever. But you're like, that's wisdom of God. Because it lines up with the Bible. Lines up with his will. One last passage in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And it's important to understand the origin. Because it's important to understand that this is what God gave Jesus Christ. This is his trait. This is who he is. In verse 17, it says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Okay, so so here here, here is the, the main theme and the main thrust of this is... If you take a look at this verse, including verse 18, talking about peace and righteousness as well, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom contains those things. If it is not peaceable, if it's not pure, it's not wisdom, okay? If it's not peaceable, it's not gentle, it's not easy to be entreated, if it's not full of mercy and good fruits, if it has partiality, if it has hypocrisy, if it lacks righteousness and does not communicate peace, it's not from God. And it has to have all those parts. And I will tell you this, all of that, if you will, was embodied in Jesus Christ. The wisdom that is from above. Him being that embodiment. But when you take a look at verse 15, it says, The wisdom that descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. If it has any of that, that is not godly wisdom. That's world's wisdom. Because the world's wisdom produces envy and strife. It produces confusion. It spawns evil works. It is all carnal and, if you will, about pleasure and pleasing yourself in a sensual manner. It's devilish. It's filled with pride. Avoid. We want to seek God's wisdom. And this little passage right here that we see with these two verses, 17 and 18, we find if you look at the, Jesus, the life of Jesus Christ, you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, that is what he communicated. He didn't communicate anything outside of that. He didn't communicate anything in verse 15 and 16. He communicated all these things because this is what God communicates to us. Now, next week, we'll take a look at the value of wisdom, why it was important, why it is important for us, the application of it, it being given to Christ. And we'll find out a little bit more about this, Lord willing, next week. It may even get into the next spirit, spirit of understanding, which is very closely related, but at the same time is very different. So let's go ahead and dismiss with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just get into your word and the wisdom that is here. I pray, Lord, that we would seek wisdom, that we would desire it, that we would have a, 
um, just a, a closeness with it because, Lord, we are close to you. I pray, Lord, that we would just draw nearer and nearer to you every single day. We would be desiring to do your will in every area of our life, in our thoughts, in our action, in our words. That, Lord, we please you and honor you with all that we do. Pray you take us home safely tonight, and I ask and pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.